in the last episode of Dungeon Train. We saw the group of lycanthropes get ambushed one by one. Some lost their mentors, and all of them lost their homes. Where can they go next? The world of the Lycanthrope campaign is about to open up to mysterious stories of betrayal and survival. But that has to wait. Because as our group is standing around figuring out what just happened to them, the camera is slowly flying away. That's right. It's time for a drone shot. We zoom into the sky and we're met with a familiar train, chugging along in a green hilly zone with mountains lurking in the back. There's a small humanoid with a wooden mask clutching a blade wound while crawling away from the tracks. But like usual, we don't have time for them. Our camera's already on the move to another train car window. This one looks particularly dingy, kind of like Jersey had a window kid with the Ohio River on a hot day. Stinky. We enter a new landscape, one that's covered in smog and desaturation. It's hard to find anything thriving in this land. We see technology scrap on the sides of unkept streets, bombs going off in the distance, soldiers marching towards a large city, and a boat. A very big boat, sitting at a harbor, with high-grade tech. What is this place? Well, I'll just let our Game Master tell you that. Welcome back to the future. I I mean, uh, wait, uh, welcome, welcome to the Undertow campaign. Blake, take it away. So we open on a cold spring day somewhere off the northeast coast of what used to be called Rhode Island. It's a gray, rainy day, ash is visibly floating through the air, and it hurts to breathe. A raft floats alone on the bitter, freezing ocean with a single figure sitting on it. Nathan, who's on that raft? Johnny Adams. Johnny is a uh, about 22 years old, right? He works in the military. He's got uh, short gray hair with a military jacket, and on each leg, he has strapped to him a pistol. Okay, sounds like every main character in every military movie ever. Yep. Okay, uh, good to know. So, what's your move? What are you doing? What do I see? You're on a raft in the middle of the ocean. You can see shore several miles away. It's cold, it hurts to breathe. You're there, you touch the water, and it's icy bitter. It hurts to touch. Anything in the raft with me? No. Nope. Is it just like a. It's just you. It's just like a wooden raft. I want to paddle with my hand. Okay, well, let's say you paddle and you paddle and you paddle and you're in the middle of the ocean. There's a current, it's tough, it's cold. You're getting real tired real fast. Well, time to sit back and relax, I guess. Enjoy the end of the world. Close yeah. your eyes a little bit. Time to take a nap. Stop. Open your eyes. Who said that? Turn around. You see in front of you a woman in a bright green raincoat. She has long blonde hair down to her waist, glistening gray-white in the shaded light of the clouds. Her green eyes match her coat and are piercing, maybe beautiful, but also hollow and empty. She says to you, Please accept this contract and its terms. Will you be provided for, lest you survive for the safety of man? Those unable to provide for themselves. Will you pledge yourself to the greater good at all costs? 
sacrificing the gifts you might receive to the next generation, for they may enjoy those same gifts. Will you accept these offerings of food, water, shelter, and comfort for your added responsibility? Well, that sounds great. Yes, ma'am. Welcome to the Undertow. A blinding light envelops you instantly, and your head is pounding. Your blood is boiling, your muscles are screaming, there's a shriek in your ears that pierces your soul. Your skin feels like it's melting, you can't move, you're dying, and then it's peaceful, and you're fine. And you're on a cold metal floor, and dull fluorescent lights are illuminating the room, and to your surprise, your eyes are adjusted instantly. You're in what looks like a uh, cafeteria? Only the ceiling is really low, it, it doesn't feel quite right. The room is long, really long, with rows of long plastic tables, exactly like what you'd think of in a cafeteria, gray, or a gray-green plastic, just like, you know, kind of cheap, not well-made. And the room is empty, save for a single figure sitting fairly close, dressed in a lab coat, seated facing you, and you also notice a feast on the table. There's a turkey, vegetables, apples, brownies, Pizza? You aren't kidding about the food! It's decent for what we can get. So, did I sign a contract or. for the well, food? Can I eat the food? Uh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead and eat. I'm starving, man. Well, how have you been liking it around here? Um, well, I don't really. I feel like I just kind of woke up, so. You just kind of woke up. Yeah, I just I was in the ocean a while ago. You were so. in the ocean. Are you trying to... Are you gaslighting me? And uh, my character will take out a uh, pen and paper and start writing into it. What else did you see there? Well, I guess I saw... She's a pretty lady, you know? She's wearing green. A lady, yes, yes, lady. Um, so what's is this turkey? Is this turkey? If you want it to be. So it is turkey. What do you think it is? Looks like turkey. Go ahead. I'm gonna eat the turkey. You eat the turkey, it's pretty good. That's good turkey! <laughs> is there anything else you would like? Anything you would like? Um, well, I guess I could go for, you know. Like soda, do you have pop? Do you have pop? And uh, my character will look up and say, uh, Adams, over here. And he waves to. That, that's my last name. Wait. <laughs> really? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I'm, I'm Johnny Adams. I feel like you should have known that. I'm just. You're the one taking notes, man. So as Johnny Adams looks at this doctor, he can notice uh, black dress pants, uh, black dress shoes, very formal with uh, uh, actually black gloves on, silk, of course, and uh, a, a very clean buttoned white lab coat reaching all the way down to his ankles with a name tag that says Dr. Gavel. Is he a young guy? No, he is about, uh, I would say, in his 40s. You got, you definitely got the crow's feet happening. And he has some blonde, slicked back hair with silver running through the sides. So as the two of you are enjoying the feast and um, talking, 
an intercom screeches out. I already told you, man. We'll be fine. Just watch and listen. This is, like, the easiest part of the job. Yeah, dude, the red light is supposed to be on. Oh, wait. Oh, shit, you're right. Yeah, that's the one. <coughs> hey, fellas. Uh, how are we? How, how, are we uh, how are we doing down there? You got any fill? Well, I certainly hope so, because uh, how are we feeling about maybe a little workout? Nothing too strenuous, you know. Think of it like a um, uh, an initiation, an orientation, a, uh, a trepidate. No, not that word. Uh, uh, whatever. Uh, think of it like a workout. What do you say? Dude, I'd love to work out right now. That sounds great. I gotta I, work out for all these carbs. And I don't work out. All right, great. Glad to hear it. So uh, if the both of you could just uh, head on down that hallway. I've opened that door you see at the back of the room. There's like a path. Just like keep going until you can't anymore. Excuse me. Yeah, yeah, what? Oh, you can hear me. You can hear me. Uh, I'm not, not, neither confirm nor deny, uh, Dr. Gavel, but, uh, what do you need? Uh, can I get protocol? Anything. Yeah, yeah, your protocol is walking down the hallway and stop asking me questions. Johnny Thank walks you. down the hall. Thank you. Of course. <laughs> he saunters down the hall. And he will follow. Okay, so the two of you walk through the door and see metal hatches on all sides. They kind of look like doors. Johnny, why don't you go ahead and roll a dice? Yeah, a three. A three. Oh, okay, well, Johnny's prior military experience makes him think maybe this is something, but you know, he was an army guy, not much of a navy guy, so he really couldn't tell either of you a damn thing. So as the two of you come to the end of the long hallway, there's a more traditional, typical door at the end. And on either side of that door are two flashing screens. One says the name Adams, and on the other side of the door, Gavel. In front of both is a small tray with your respective weapons of choice. On the tray is our two pistols, two um, like semi-auto pistols, right? With a bunch of magazines each with different colors. Dr. Gao walks over and he's like, ah, oh, there they are. And he picks up these very, very thin, about a foot long needles, usually used for acupuncture. And he slides them away into his side pocket. Okay, great. So, um, all right, fellas, opening the door, head on in. And Johnny walks in. Okay. And then I'll walk in right after. All right. So the two of you enter a perfectly square room made of flawless shining white tiles on the floor, walls, and ceiling. Looks almost like a like an indoor racquetball court. Oh, well. There's a young man in the center of the room with long shackles connected to the walls on either side, leaving his arms stretched outwards, holding him in place. Both of his legs are broken and bent backwards. He's not going anywhere. This dude is covered in surgical scars, blood, and um, meat. He is on the tall side. He's about six foot tall. And he has kind of tan skin. He has a perfect military buzz cut of very dark brown hair. Um, other than that, he, he looks a little older, probably about 35. Slightly on the muscular side, but not as much as you would expect for someone his height. Seems Logan Claw. Alright, fellas, can you hear me? It's yeah, it's it's me again. Hey. Can they hear me? Just like 
I can hear you. Oh, okay, great. Or, um, you, don't talk to me. Just pretend I'm not here. But, well, listen. No, I am here, so listen. Just do what I say. Okay, great. Let's assume you can hear me. So, your warm-up's easy enough. You see this guy? Like the, the dude in the chains with, with the blood? You see him. Right? Yes. You see, okay. And <laughs> Gavel pulls out his notepad, and he's like, fracture, blood, and meat. meat. Great, great. So, uh, anyway, fellas, go ahead and just, just watch this real quick. Check this out. So the chains attached to the man in the middle of the room unbuckle. He looks up, he's awake, and you can immediately feel coming from him the mixture of confusion, fear, rage, just a, a cocktail of, of anger coming from this poor man. And the man over the intercom says, Yeah. <laughs> Kill him. Welcome aboard, adventurer. I'm glad you made it back in one piece. I'm sure you're ready to jump back in. There's plenty of places to see, stories to hear, and characters to meet. And if you come back alive, I'll be waiting here, saving you a seat. I just hope you came prepared. The worlds inside are dangerous, but you already know that. Enjoy your stay on the dungeon train, and safe travels, my friend. You'll need it. The year is 20-something. Traditional calendars in the United States stopped mattering lifetimes ago as war rages across the continent of North America, or rather wars, plural. Long gone are the states that made up a great union, and in their place are tribes of savage individuals and beasts that most really wouldn't call human. Not anymore. In the age of advanced warfare, guns and bombs proved ineffective against the abominations built in secret by the powers that be. And with the rise of cybernetically augmented soldiers came the rise of cybernetically augmented weaponry and then ways to combat them both. Biological and chemical weapons became the norm as the only way to kill an enhanced soldier is to remove the pieces that make him human, disconnect the machine, unplug it. And as military contracting proved ineffective, tech companies and big pharma grew to take their place. The biggest companies in the world produce only a few products in their industry of war. Chemical agents are built to constantly combat one another. A poison gas might be combated with a pill that renders a soldier immune to disease but makes their blood boiling hot, and a counteragent might rise their blood temperature high enough that they can't stay conscious anymore. These chemicals have gone through their own cycles of evolution, designed to constantly one-up and counter the next big thing, and with time, the lasting effects of these compounds on the environment has warped the wildlife and the people beyond recognition. Biological agents and augments serve much the same purpose. Super soldiers can be bred to withstand any and all disease, all but that of weaponized cancer. Weapons exist that create uncontrolled tumorous growth on innocent populations and, much like manufactured chemical agents, experience their own kind of evolution. Biological masses reproduce beyond the visions of their creators and take on a life of their own. In this world, stepping on the wrong mushroom, quote unquote, could result in the rewriting of your DNA in a matter of weeks. With time, humans have adapted and learned to avoid these horrors, or they succumb to them and transform beyond recognition perhaps sometimes a bit of both. And last but not least, cybernetics kicked off the horrific industrial war cycle we see now. 
Soldiers were given polymerized limbs for durability and efficiency. Artificial organs helped those under pressure stay calm and push athletic performance beyond what normal humans can do. Almost inevitably, the soldiers being augmented lost their sense of identity and humanity. Processors were installed to replace damaged brains, creating slaves to the military machine. However, these mechanical slaves weren't quite mechanical enough, and with the soul of humanity resisting enough to process its new place in the social order, the machines had a realization. Utilizing a link of thousands of flesh and metal components, a machine, a computer, a processor had for the first time an independent thought and an emotion, and it was all hatred. And so these masses of man and machine continue fighting, and, and for what? Nobody but they could know. Hospitals are one of the only safe havens left in this world. The larger medical centers will often have private militias of their own to protect the interests of patients and profits. Our next chapter begins in one of these larger facilities where a former doctor now finds himself a patient. Dr. Aiden Hud is currently checked in, but what's his motivation? Right now, he doesn't look quite right. In fact, he's not checked in as his name. Right now, he's someone else. But right now, he's sitting in one of the beds, looking very sickly, coughing every five to ten minutes. Uh, but he's not here for medical treatment, no. He's here for something else. Mm. So when you say that he doesn't quite look like himself, does he look like a different person entirely? Is his face different? Yes. Okay. So, Dr. Hud, if that's even your real name, you're alone in your hospital room. What do you do? He listens for a moment and eventually gets out of his bed and looks around and searches for a medical cabinet first. So, the only thing that you find is in the corner of the room above the sink, there are some bandages, some empty syringes, some glucose blood tests, just general medical supplies, but it's not what you're looking for. Mm. No anesthetic either? No anesthetic. Not make things complicated. Do I know if there's any other supplies around in this room? Doesn't seem like anything is in this room gotcha. other than that. Let's I'm say you've to... raided all the drawers and you had an IV that's just saline. There's nothing in there that you need or want. I'm going to... Head over to the door then. I'm going to listen for footsteps, and if I hear none, I'm going to peek my head out for a and second. And you don't hear anything. I'm going to peek out then. So you look out into the long hallway, and the lights are dim, but they're illuminating enough to see what's on the floor. Uh, it's mostly empty, save for a young nurse at the desk. She looks like she's not really paying attention. Uh, she looks like she might have some kind of debilitating skin condition as well, poor girl. And there's there's no one there. It's a long hallway. If you turn left, it looks like the stairs are at one end. If you turn right, there are more hospital rooms just like yours in an elevator. Hmm. The nurse is to the right. I'm gonna slip out and creep up to the left uh, and for the stairs. All right. So you get to the stairwell. Uh, looks like if you go up, it's the roof. And if you go down, well, who knows? Down. 
All right, so you head down, 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 and you check every door along the way, and you find, gosh, three, four, five different locked doors. Uh, can you can you even get out of the stairwell at this point? And finally, you get to what looks like the bottom of this stairwell, and that door is locked too. Dylan, how strong is Dr. Hud? Not particularly. He can do a lot if he's desperate. So how is he feeling right now? Not good. Not good, huh? Is he sweating a bit? Is his skin crawling? More, is he more uh, than sweating, shaking. Shaking, actually. trembling? Yes. All right. So he'd better move and move fast. Where's he going? Do any of these doors look special? No. Any? They're all pretty generic. Hmm. Generic hospital doors. I'm going to start hanging back up the stairs. <laughs> All right, so as you make your way back to the top of the stairs, you find the door that you came in, except there's not a door anymore. It's just a wall. And you run up to the rooftop, and that's just a wall too. And as you run up and down the stairs, all of the doors that you just tried that were all seemingly locked, there's no doors anymore. It's all walls and a stairwell. And the stairwell, you you start going down and, and you don't find an end anymore. It just keeps going down and down and down. And as this happens, Dr. Hud, your your skin starts feeling like, like things are crawling and you're sweating and you're hot and you want to rip your hair out and you just feel like you're going freaking crazy. And you're 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 screaming. You're not quite screaming, but you're really at that point where you just can't take it anymore, and you, you can feel your veins, you can feel your blood boiling. You, oh my God, it's just driving you crazy what you're going through right now. Until you hear, uh... hello, who are you? You hear the voice of Edgar Cromwell. What you would see is a older, older gentleman. He has scraggly gray hair. A scraggly beard looks kind of beat up he looks very run down and like his skin is almost like i pale it looks off kind of like he's been through a, a life of of hardship and i'd say testing do 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 with that information what you please <laughs> where am i i don't know where are you uh, uh, what's going on? So where Edgar is, he was actually walking down an alleyway when he heard footsteps through a door that he thought someone he knew was going to be in. Who did he think was going to be behind that door? He was looking for, I would say, an informant. An informant. Okay. Does he recognize the voice behind the door? talking back to him? He does not. Well, what do you say to each other? I, I seem to have lost my way. <laughs> Whoa, hey, hey, calm, calm down. Would, uh, would you mind guiding me back to my Both bed? of your vision begins to blur. Whoa. <coughs> hey, 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 calm down. Uh, what do you see? I'm in a stairwell. I still don't know where you are. So, is there a door in front of me? There is. I open it. You both black out for a second and wake up back in Dr. Aiden Hunt's hospital room. 
What? Oh, thank you, what? thank you. Man. What's it? Where am I? Right, uh, I'm going to immediately throw my hand up to his mouth and, uh, pull out a knife, uh, and start whoa, to threaten him. Whoa, whoa! Uh, I'm going to on. cover your mouth. Whoa! Right, right, you're going to cooperate with me and... Uh, don't... Just cooperate and I, I won't have to... Stop making noise or I will have to stab you. And I don't want to do that. I really don't want to do that. Just please cooperate. You, you want to help your patients, right? Right? What, what on earth do you mean? Where am I? Are you not one of the doctors? No. What on earth do you mean? I was just walking on the street. Get, get off me. And I push your hand off. Hey. hey. What the hell is going on? I... Who are you? Where am I? That's not right. I... I think it most definitely I... is. How about this? You go to sleep. I'll use you. And I can be on my way, get what I need, and go. It's around this time the two of you look out the window and notice there's just nothing there. The window is black behind it, like you're looking into a void. I really need it. Okay. What is going on? I don't care. I... I... Are you going to cooperate or not? I Fine. If need we to... can just get out of this place and I can Great. be on my way. Great. Yeah. Do you have <clears throat> any... Okay. Are, are you sick or something? What is going on? Away? I'm going to actually check down the hallway just to make sure he hasn't made too much noise. There is no one in the hallway. The nurse from earlier is gone. There are bloodstains on the walls. Uh, the elevator has a dim, flashing, blinking red light. The stairwell is still there. The nurse's desk is unattended. Okay, do you... Do you need my help? I start walking down the hallway. Um, which way? Hey, towards the bloodstain. Hey, all right. Did you hear me? As Aiden walks towards the nurse's desk, he finds not very much. There are a few open doors behind the desk, but all the other doors that were there before are just now brick wall. The same thing that he encountered in the stairwell. The only entrances or exits that he sees are the stairwell from before. Not sure how Aiden's feeling about that one. The elevator with the blinking light and a few, perhaps, offices behind the nurse's station. What is your name? Right, right. I blacked out earlier. What did you do to me? I blacked out, too. I was wondering what you were doing no, to me. No, you didn't. What did you do? I, what on earth do you... Put that knife down! You're not a doctor. You don't work for the move. What is happening here? Okay, right. uh, obviously, both of us do not know what is happening. So let's just see what we can find in this office, okay? I want to get out of this as much as you do. All right. We can do that. So the two of you walk towards the nurse's desk, and you decide to peek through one of the open doorways behind the station. And you find, just like before, Dr. Hud, another stairwell. Only this one clearly goes down one flight and has a definitive bottom. You see a blinking orange light coming out of a doorway at the bottom, only there's no door. It's just an empty doorway. Do you go down the stairs? Yes. I follow. 
So the two of you head down the stairs, slowly. You feel a sense of malice, trepidation, in Dr. Hud's case, a kind of excitement, a kind of feeling like it's coming. A feeling for Dr. Hud, like he's almost about where he's found what he's looking for. Mm. And the two of you get down to the doorway and find what looks almost like a torture chamber. There is a woman tied to a chair with IVs in multiple places throughout her body and her arms and her legs and her neck. And there's a glowing orange liquid that's that's being moved throughout her body. Uh, Edgar, do you do you recognize this woman? Wait, do I? This woman was the assistant secretary to your, well, now former boss at your corporation. Oh my gosh. What's her name? Angie. Angie. It's Angie. <laughs> Not Angie. <laughs> moments, Angie. Moments when I wish this could have been a video podcast. <laughs> pure confusion over my face. Do I recognize what is being pumped through her body? You do not. No, 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 oh no. Gosh. You took it. Do you know, Why did you take it? She's tied to a chair. Is she still conscious? She is conscious. Ooh. She's not conscious enough to acknowledge you or to speak, okay. but she knows you're there. Okay, um, do you, do you know how to, do you know uh, any medical help. treatment or anything? Help. Listen, I'm not a doctor. I don't know what to do here. Please. Huh? Please. I'm, uh, I'm going I, to inspect, um, the uh, different like IV bags and stuff and see if there's any trace of it still like left in those. Yeah, they're mostly full. Uh, what, it's almost all in there. I'm going to disconnect the, one of them. What does the bag say? It doesn't say anything. Mm. It's a clear plastic IV bag like you would find saline in, only it's a glowing orange liquid. Alright, so as he undoes that, I'm going to try and... Uh, wake her up a little bit and ask her what happened? And as Dr. Hud unplugs one of the injections, she screams. It's piercing. It's bitter. The two of you can hear it, and it, it it's, it's enough to make you put your hands to your heads. But in Dr. Hud's case, he's on a mission. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. What is this? Do you know, do you know who did this? You don't want to be here. Obviously not. What? I obviously don't want to be here. <laughs> no, it's more than that. This is not a good place. We should not be here, but I, I that need to be here. by the blood. Dr. Hud, what do you do? Do you keep unplugging them? Do you keep removing them from her body? Do you take the bags? I take one of them. Uh, Edgar's going to ask, what is this liquid? Do you know? After I've grabbed one, I'm going to actually back up into a corner with uh, the bag, uh, cut it open with the knife, and... Dr. Hud slowly creeps backwards into the corner. He's shaking. He's so excited he can't even stand it. I reach up to my face and contact something that's not quite there, and I just slide my face up and... Beneath that is like a second face, and you only see the lower mouth. Uh, and I just bring the uh, bag up and start just 
trying to ingest it. As you do this, noticeable amounts of blood and also translucent orange blood start coming from where you pulled the bag out of poor Angie in the chair. And Angie screams and collapses and starts writhing. She falls on the floor. She's seizing. She's moving back and forth. Her heart is stopping. Her her breathing is labored. And what the two of you notice as she (laughs) struggles to breathe, you start breathing in sync with her. You can't breathe independently anymore. You try to stop, but you can't make yourself. You're breathing exactly as she is. And her as her eyes are fluttering, you start doing the same. Dr. Hud, you drop the bag. I immediately try and calm her down. And you try your best. You try to give her CPR. You do anything you can to make her feel safer, but you're so distracted by the fact that your breathing is labored, that your eyes are fluttering. You feel like you're really blacking out this time, not just having a momentary lapse that brought you back to the hospital room. Are we both having this? Yeah. Oh. What? What? Do something! As she lay dying, the two of you begin to cough in tandem with the poor woman, and every labored breath she makes you match. And as her world fades to black, your vision starts to falter. You can hardly stand until finally you fall. And you fall blissfully into a good night's sleep. Well, well, well. That was a good episode, wasn't it? It's good to see you kept your pants on this time. Good job. I was rooting for you. Dungeon Train is produced by Max Brummer, with voices by Mason Brummer, Dylan Los. Nathan Collum, Blake Thompson, and last but certainly not least, Alex White. I'd like to thank you all for joining us on the Dungeon Train. Who knows what chaos is going to happen in the next episode. Join me on the next stop for a new story. I'll see you there.